Welcome to Allie and Passero's podcast. It's Sunday, September 27th. Jim Passero and Alan Alley here broadcasting or podcasting from an undisclosed location in the center of Multnomah Village. Or where, where are we? We Jim? are, we are in a garden home, garden home neighborhood, which is, uh, you know, very near Alpenrose Dairy and, and Gabriel Park and, and Multnomah Village. And the most, it's de- the most, it's the most democratic precinct in the, or district in the state. So it's we've Jennifer Williams, former district, but yeah, it's all, the highest percentage of government workers. So is they're, this, they're all government worker millionaires. All your friends, they're all the ones who, that go down to, to the uh, to the wealth managers and discuss their PERS accounts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, and and this is the area that you ran in, right? Yes. And James Ball. Yes, is running it. Our friend is currently running right. it. Right. I lost by 30 points. So and was we'll that, see how he does. Was that better than the... I, I ran just, a point. The, uh, I ran a point. I campaigned for six months put up 500 lawn signs, knocked on 5,000 doors, and ran a point and a half ahead of Bob Dole. Oh, there you go. There, Yeah, in 96. You know, that's something that I've noticed as I've been uh, working with Jeff Goodman on his campaign. And Jeff Goodman's running for state treasurer. He ran last time and lost by like two and a half points to Mm -hmm. Tobias Reed. Yeah. The winner of that election was actually not Tobias Reed. It was it was more not Tobias Reed votes yeah. than Tobias got yeah. because Jeff got uh, forty five or forty six percent. Tobias was a couple points above that, and Chris Telfer, former mm-hmm. Republican legislator from uh, Bend, got uh, I think twelve points or something like that. We yeah. So very, very competitive race. But one of the things I was going to point out is that down-ballot Republicans in presidential years mm-hmm. often do better in Oregon, dramatically better than the top of the ticket mm-hmm. here. So uh, when I ran in 2008, it was that case when— uh, So you ran in the Obama, first Obama cycle. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I, I did five points better than uh, McCain. John McCain. And uh, Bueller did better in his race in 2016. He did better than 40, because he got 45 percent. And no, and, no, no. And Trump that got, was no. It oh, was Bueller's right. race in the Secretary of State's oh, Secretary race. Secretary of State uh, dramatically better yeah. than the top of the ticket. And uh, Goodman and Goodman was in mm. the same year that Dennis Richardson was well, in. We, I saw Jeff Goodman uh, recently at an undisclosed location speaking, and uh, he's really improved. I mean, really, really. Uh, Really improved. Well, four for years. for that job, mm-hmm. he's I mean, he's now been running for four years mm-hmm. um, since the last election. He just said, "Look, I'm not going to lose this." Uh, he's a competitive swimmer. I, I you don't realize that when you look at Jeff. Well, we but went we went to high school together. You did? Yes, he was about three years ahead of me, but he was on I the did, swim team. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, he's and he really understands the job. He's put in the time. He's put in the the effort. He goes to all the PERS meetings. He goes to all the OIC meetings. I think he attends more meetings than Tobias Reed does. Mm-hmm. Actually, he understands that job inside and out. And I think he conveyed that in the speech that he gave. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm really a remarkable improvement from four years ago. And so, um, as, as a former speechwriter, I just I really appreciate structure when somebody's speaking, and I and when somebody gets up and speaks, and they're and it's not structured, and they're just and they're and it's and they're babbling or they're or they're just saying mundane things. They're really wasting the. It's insulting to the audience. Yeah. And and then when somebody is structured, and he was powerful too, and organized, and and just given this what you're saying, so much thought that. He really deserves the office because he's thought so hard about it. Yeah, and this is one of those offices where you really want somebody that wants to do the job, Mm -hmm. that it's not just a stepping stone to something else. And he made that point that Tobias has been running for governor um, for the last six years, basically, two years before this and then during the the time in office. And and kind of keeping his head down in spite of the fact that there's all kinds of problems in the treasury, uh, the PERS liability being the first one. And then what are they doing with the assets that mm-hmm. they're managing right now? Uh, there's a whole web of 
as you as the purse liability grows to, in order to keep up with it you get more aggressive with yeah. your investments and by getting more aggressive with your investments you put it in riskier things you put it in longer term things mm. you're not just in, investing in stocks and bonds that can be freely traded and Jeff really understands that dynamic and and what's happened and it's it would be very very important for the state to get him elected so the job's going to take a lot more brains than it did 10 years ago yeah, That's absolutely. What you're saying. Yeah, yeah. With all the with all the uh, problems we have right now, financial and health. Historically, the treasurer could just come in. You could be a career politician. You you've got the title of treasurer, mm. but you don't actually do anything. Mm, that yeah. the staff manages all the investments. You don't really get involved. Mm. And there hasn't been any real critical oversight in a long, long time. Uh, the staff is a good staff, but the pressures that they're put under as this PERS liability grows and the assets are not growing as fast yeah. as the liability. We're not yeah. putting enough money away yeah. that you just start making riskier and riskier, longer term, mm -hmm. illiquid, meaning not mm -hmm. cash investments. And then now we're starting to see a, a cash crunch. Yeah. And... All of a sudden, if it's like you can't liquidate an investment, um, you sell it at a fire sale and you get into a lot of trouble. But I think Jeff could could help out. So the there. biggest problem he has is just how do you what we saw recently? How does how does he get that out to enough people to make a difference and to cross over since it's a blue state and you just put the blue jersey on and you win by ten points statewide or yeah, well, or eight points or six. Well, the interesting thing is uh, Tobias won by two, right? With Chris taking twelve, and that was, the, but that was the night that Dennis Richardson won the only statewide election that a Republican has won in fifteen years, and it was also the the the, uh, the night that Hillary Clinton won Oregon by twelve points, and uh, people look at that race in 2016 and say well jeff came close and so he he basically knows how to run in a in oregon in the trump cycle i'm not sure that's true because i think people would have voted differently had they known that donald trump was going to win the presidency that night we'll get into more of this after our break this is ali and Pacero. today's podcast is brought to you by prolift garage doors ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or slash portland Welcome back to Allie and Pacero. Alan Allie and Jim Pacero from our bunker. <laughs> and we're we're, we're talking and we're staying in it for a while. We're talking about about winning in a blue state and winning when Trump is at the top of the ticket mm -hmm. in a blue state. Now, one of the things about that last election that we're Clinton, talking about 2016 Trump election. Yeah. Um, Hillary got 50 0.1% of the vote. She just barely broke 50%. In Oregon. In Oregon, yeah. right? And I thought it was a little higher than that, but... No, it's 50.1. 50, 50. And Trump got 39? 39, yeah. right. Okay. And there were some other candidates mm -hmm. that took some of that. Now... Trump thinks he can win Oregon based on what happened in 2016. <laughs> I, I, I just... I, he had some surrogates out here recently, and they're like, they're like, oh, the president is always talking about Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it... You know, the... People say, could Oregon be the Wisconsin of this election? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think so, because I think Clinton didn't get, uh, just barely broke 50% because she lost people on the left and the right. Mm -hmm. that, that There were some on the left where she wasn't far left enough right. for them. So they, they, they passed on voting for her. But um, in this election coming up... Uh, Jeff Goodman has, he's got the profile to win this race. He's got the background, the experience. Um, I now think the gravitas. I wouldn't have said mm -hmm. that yeah. uh, last time, but I think it's this It's remarkable time. how much he's improved. I, this is the third time I've said it, but I mean, and it's just like, again, the question is, how does he get that message out to people? 
Yeah, and in the time of COVID, it's especially difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, difficult to campaign for state treasurer anyway. You've done it. Yes. And then you throw the throw COVID on top of it. The advantage is, is that um, he's going to have to use a lot of digital media, mm-hmm. very targeted online ads uh, to people that could possibly change their vote. You think that's effective politically? Well, it... I mean, we know it's effective if, like, you go to Bandon Dunes and you play golf. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and they follow you around. And they fo- and you come back and, and it's like, and you're working hard four or five weeks later and Bandon keeps sending you ads right in the middle of whatever you're looking at. And you're going, oh, God, I really do. Yeah, I, I miss it. Well, I think it could be. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we saw an Al- Alex Scarlatos ad uh, recently. recently. Mm-hmm. And... I thought it was, it was terrific, oh, right? Oh, and Jim, I've run several times. I've spent a lot of money on yeah. ads, and that's the ad that I've always wanted, wanted to make. And yeah. they won't make it. You mean, you mean you mean the political consultant? The political consultant class got, won't yeah, make it because it's not a. It wasn't a poll tested ad. No, yeah, that we saw. It was too fresh for that. It, but it was genuine. Yeah. It was Alec. It was direct. It spoke to me. It was clever. It was engaging. Yeah. Um, it was really terrific. And I think those types of ads pushed through social media, yes, they can be effective. Mm-hmm. The standard 30 second spot dark picture with your opponent in grainy photograph. Right. No. Yeah. Not not in social media. It's uh, you just skip right through it. But I know, I... Scarlato's ad is almost like something that you'd see on TikTok, mm-hmm. the the Chinese app that you know is kind of fun and people do dancing and crazy stuff. You could break Scarlato's ad up into little segments and post them up on TikTok, and it would be very very compelling. Yeah, I th- I mean, one of the things that is that you have to catch sort of the zeitgeist of the time. You know, and he's caught it in that ad. I mean, he's got he's caught he's got a district that's moving Donald Trump's direction, and has been moving. Uh, working Democrats in Southwest Oregon have been moving away from the Democratic Party, and you've got a congressman of thirty years who was the original founder of the Progressive Caucus and is is with the Green New Deal in a, in, a, in a place where Jordan Cove is you know the LNG right. is not going to happen because of because of the governor. Who only had ten or fifteen percent influence on it, right? And so all of, he captures that sort of, you know, frustration and spirit and uh, anger all in that ad. And he he physically fits, mm-hmm. you know. He it, well, he was an actor. He was in the his own mo- movie. Played himself. He played himself in, in a the, movie in the Clint Eastwood movie. And because he was uh, he stopped a terrorist attack right. on a train in France, yeah. right? He has a wonderful way of presenting himself mm-hmm. that seems authentic and yeah. genuine, uh, not scripted. It didn't seem like it was it was stilted or scripted. It seemed like him. Yeah, it yeah. just seemed like him talking to the camera. Yeah, and um, and it was, uh, you know, I'm sure that they shot it a few times. Yeah, you know, that, that that all those parts of it that worked yeah. so well didn't weren't all just first take, right? But it, yeah, I mean, and Peter, as as uh, Congressman Greg Walden said recently, you know, Peter, he hasn't seen Peter DeFazio so scared, and he should be. Well, and well, what a crazy thing too that Oregon could possibly uh, be the place where people wake up, you know, on the morning after the election and find this longtime Democratic congressional baron has been toppled. I think it absolutely can happen. Yeah. You know, if I'm in if I'm in that congressional district, you know, you think about where it is. It's Roseburg. It goes all the way out um Coos Bay. to the coast to Coos Bay. Mm-hmm. Um and even if I'm a democrat, it's like is my life heading in the right direction? Mm-hmm. You know, is is my district thriving and growing and prospering in a place where people want to move. They have like a child poverty rate of 30% yeah. in, in parts of that district. No, I, I think no matter who you are, Republican or Democrat, and here's this 30-something-year-old guy, mm-hmm. real direct, yeah. you know, from the district, yeah. represents the district, served his country, and he comes across as being smart, clever, 
uh, strong, direct, and is going to fight for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, close enough. Yeah. Right? Well, and and this is one of those. This election just really feels like it's going to break one way or the other. And you know, and and and, and that district might be a micro break. Right. You know, it could break to the Democrats and that district break to the break to the Republicans. But, you know, we, we see all this uh, talk about the mail and the president, uh, you know, the voting by mail and all the other issues. And everybody expects this election to be so close. But I think it's going to break one way or the other. And I, I just, oh, it'll be kind of a landslide one way or another. I think it's going to. Yeah, I, I just think that there's too much tension build up. And one of these two candidates is going to, and we'll see, you know, the debate two nights from now. But yeah. I think one of these candidates is going to uh, put the other one, you know, knock the other one down. Well, we'll turn to some national uh, discussion right after the break. This is Ali M. Pacero. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and the historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Alley and Pacero podcast. We're in our bunker in the middle of the democratic centroid of Portland. And Jim had just turned to some of the national news and, and some of the national election that's going on right now. Uh, his theory is that it's going to break one way or another, that there's just too much pressure kind of mm-hmm. being built up. Uh, you know, I kind of get that, that, um, people, I, I can't quite tell. I, I don't know which way it's going to break, mm-hmm. but I do feel like something's going to break one way or the other. The, um, the polls, I'm not so confident in the polls. I, we get called all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Debbie one won't answer the, the calls. Mm-hmm. So the only people that are answering the calls are the people that want to answer. Are you the even calls. calling your landline? Yes. Yeah. On the landline. Yeah. Are you? I have a landline, but I, I, <laughs> it, it sounds stupid. I have, I'd have the ringer off. Oh, so there you go. I use it just to call out because yeah. I, because this is where I live is a dead a dead zone on the cell sometimes. So it's, yeah. a, it's kind of my emergency backup phone. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody uh, nationally about dead zones and cell service mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. and they that this is uncommon. If mm-hmm. you're in Indiana, if you're in Illinois, if you're in Pennsylvania, they don't have dead zones. Yeah, not in the cities. Right. My house is a dead zone. Your house is a dead <laughs> it's zone. A real dead zone. Driving through the Twilliger curves is it's a dead, dead zone. Yeah. It's it's inconceivable that somehow we accept that here yeah. and and feel that that that's okay. But turning back to the national election, so Donald Trump needs a couple of swing states to break his way. Mm-hmm. And so your theory is, for example, Wisconsin is 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 either going to break hard for Trump or He's out of luck. I think that, and I guess I should refine my theory. I think that, I think the election is going to move five or six points one way or the other. Right now, he's seven points down in the, in the average, but he's only three points down in the battleground states. So if it moves five or six points one way or the other, if it moves towards Biden, he, you know, we get blown out. If it moves towards him, he wins another electoral college victory. And so it's that, and that opens up a lot of, there's a lot of things about that that are really interesting if he were to win, because at that, at this point, if he gets reelected, I mean, the Democrats really have to say that he's their president or we're just going to have chaos. But I think it's number two. Oh, well then that's not, that's not so good. It was interesting because we, you and I spent some time with Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota recently. And, extraordinary talent yeah extraordinary and a real person i was i was uh really really surprised i've Mm -hmm. seen her on television Mm -hmm. and i thought she came off as a little cold Mm -hmm. on tv yeah 
And seeing her in person, she was strong, a strong supporter of Republican values, a strong supporter of women Mm -hmm. and women in politics and women in management and women in the workplace, Um, but not in a sort of offensive, preachy kind of way. She really came off as the first female president. I mean, you just, yes, you just immediately, and it's like. The uh, I remember I I saw her before she spoke, and she said and when I talked to her as a former speechwriter, I said how you know do you have a speechwriter? She's like no, I just make a few notes. That was pretty incredible, wasn't it? For yeah. just a, for just a few notes. Yeah, I mean because that there were that was a fluid speech. Very yeah, and she um she has a way of being strong. Mm-hmm. And thoughtful, like on, she talked about COVID, mm-hmm. and and this resonates with me. Is she said, "Look, I have to make these very difficult decisions, and I want to be well informed." Mm-hmm. So I listen to the CDC call. I talk to the doctors. I talk to the epidemiologists. When she said no other governors were on on right. in on those calls. Right. She did all the homework mm-hmm. because. She knew these are kind of make or break decisions for her state. And I, I really, it certainly appeals to me because I think that's what good CEOs do. Yeah. Good CEOs get the briefings, but good CEOs go, you go walk around on the factory floor. Well, you go talk to the people that are doing the work. Well, she said that she'd served eight years as the at-large congressional representative of south dakota which means they only have one so she represents the whole state right and that and that she couldn't stand it that she wanted to get be governor because she wanted because her natural inclination was a ceo she'd run she'd run her family's huge ranch for you know for 20 years before she went into politics yeah that was that was very interesting and then also her observation about she gets back to dc and it's like where where are the normal people? You know, where are just the the regular folk that I can talk to? Instead that, of the professional politicians. Yeah. Where are real people that have had real jobs and provided, you know, provided real incomes for people and lived in the real world? Yeah, and they're not there, are they? I, I couldn't. My mind jumps ahead when I watch somebody like that about what populism would look like post-Donald yeah. post Trump. Because Donald Trump ter- serves it in such a... Um, I mean, he is Dennis the Menace. I mean, he just he just serves up populism in a in a even though a lot of the times the issues that he's he's putting forth are you know really sort of groundbreaking, intelligent in some way. He doesn't explain them that way. He serves them up as Dennis the Menace, and he delights in it. And 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 so you, you know everybody says, well, you need to grow your base. You need to grow. You only got forty six percent. Hillary got forty eight. You need to grow it. That's never been what he is about. And so when you see Christie Nome and you see somebody quoting James Madison, somebody strong, articulate leader leadership skills, and you you know, you, you begin to think, what is this post populism world? What is the Republican Party gonna look like, you know, five years from now, post Donald Trump? Well, ex- exactly. you could everybody in the room, we all had the same reaction. It's like this could be the first female president. Mm-hmm. Right. This she really has that it factor, not in a sort of self-promoting, grandiose, hey, look at me kind of way. It's just in a, you know, I ran a ranch. I've I've worked really hard. I've done lots of things. Um, I'm thoughtful and I get it and I get it and conveying that. That she understands you. Yeah. She understands the problems that you, as a small business person, have, yeah. as a person trying to raise a family and dealing with all these things. It, it, she was very, very relatable. Uh, we'll be back, talk more about some national things. This is Allie and Pissero's podcast. Welcome back to Allie and Pissero's podcast. I'm Alan Allie with Jim Pissero from the center of the. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is the centroid of the beast. It is. It We're is. talking about national issues and and the upcoming election. Yeah, and I and I think you know post Donald Trump, and we can do this on a podcast. Is is looking 
what Democrats say right now, and I grew up in a Democratic family, I have a lot of Democratic friends, so I hear what they're thinking right now because they're in my face. And one of the things that they're saying and the media is saying, they're parroting a lot of the media, but is that we, if Donald Trump loses, we have damaged the Republican brand by supporting him, enabling him, and that this party is going to be set back 10 or 15 or 20 years because we're all going to have to basically... I think what they see it as, like, this is how they see it. In, when, the, when the Americans, GIs, went into Paris in, in August of 1945 and liberated it, then the French citizens went out and grabbed the women who had slept with the Nazis and shaved their heads. I really think that that's what Democrats would like to do. They'd like to have us walk around, you know, with shaved heads for 10 years, you know, because we were part of the Republican Party during the Donald Trump era. But, you know, it's, it's funny. Just when you think you know something so strong, then you see a Christy Nome and you start to think about populism. In, the Republicans have a potential to get all the working people in their party and the business people are, they're not going to lead anymore, but they'll follow. Right. They'll stay in the Republican Party. Right. And then, you know, what do the Hispanics want? They, their, their faith, family, and they don't want to, and, and, and they don't want to pay taxes. And they don't, you know, so they, you know, this growing Hispanic population should, in all likelihood, especially with somebody like a Christy Nome, end up in the Republican Party. And so, and so you, and this goes back to, something we said a month or two ago, you know, the Democrats at their convention brought um, these actresses on. Right. So the party, it's the party of progressive, uh, progressive activists, government workers, and celebrities. Yes, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they're ignoring the fact that there can be a massive fracture. It, it happened in Wisconsin. It happened mm-hmm. in Michigan. It happened in Pennsylvania with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And they ignored it. And many, many times I'll I'll say to my Democratic friends, look, my party nominated Donald Trump. Your party elected him. And they're like, what what do you mean? Oh, my God. How could that be? I said he had to flip blue states. And then what is it about the policies of those blue states that that caused you to disenfranchise so many of your voters? Mm -hmm. And have you fundamentally changed those policies to bring them back into the fold? Or are you just saying, oh, you need to toe the line this time. Look look at the mistake you made last time. And we had this conversation with our former co-host, Mark Abrams, for a couple of years and never got any any concession that, that the Democratic Party has become the party of elitism college graduates and elitism. Now they would say that elitism is too simple. You know, you're just you're right. painting with a broad brush. But in terms of the co- you know, it is the party of the college graduates. It's the party it of is. the it is the party of the people with graduate degrees, you know. <laughs> and 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 it is also, you know, and it has become, you know, the party of the elites. Yes. And so and and Donald Trump has spoken to the working class people in a way that no politician in their lifetime has spoken to them. And they're energized about the political process. I mean, I see it. I People come up. I, I talk to people, you know, tons during the week who come up and go, I wasn't involved, you know, and now I'm super energized. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So when was the last time that, uh, you know, quote, blue collar, small business people, um, were that engaged in politics? Was it Reagan? Well, I said... I think that it was a different, it was a little bit different, but it was in, in Barry, from Barry Goldwater to Ronald Reagan, the Republicans build a majority based on freedom issues. Right. And, and I think that that, that's what Christy Nome really yes. delineated yes. when we saw her speak was, I, we are the party of freedom and the other party is the party of, a control and regulation. Right. And we've seen this during the pandemic. You know, so she's sitting there in South Dakota where she didn't do anything. I mean, she, 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 I, that sounds wrong, but I mean, as far, as far as shutting things down. Right. She didn't do anything. No, she did a lot. She, uh, learned about the virus, mm-hmm. learned about how it spreads, 
conveyed that information to her people and then said, I need you in this with me to make good decisions. Yeah. Right? And it was so empowering. Yeah. And not only, because politicians say this all the time. Politicians say, I need you. I need your help. I need you. But Christy Nome said, I need you. It's your state. You are free to make your decisions. Here's the information that I have. Please work with me and let's get through this thing yeah. together. As opposed to, you know, bunker in place, put on your masks. Um, we're going to, we're going to inconsistently produce data in a random fashion to reinforce the fact that we want you to bunker and put on your mask. Um, she was very direct and very open. Uh, you just felt like she was playing with all the cards face up. Yeah, and you know, you go back and I taped a bunch of um, uh, Andy Griffith shows, you know, in March because we were all sitting home, basically eating, you know, eating lunch at home, <laughs> you know, trying to get, trying not to watch the news. Remember, yeah, that yeah. in that era, oh, yeah. And so I replay, you know, occasionally I'll sit down with the 148 episodes I have and I'll watch one, and I'll see all the government ads that ran in March. Stay oh, home, stay yeah, yeah. safe. Oh. But you know, and the ads really make your skin. You know, when you watch them four or five months later, they really make your skin crawl. Yeah, about the amount of control that was immediately imposed, and the fact. And she talked about it. She she said that you know that's not following the mob is not leadership. Leadership is getting the information. You know, spending a lot of time getting the information and making good decisions. And 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 so you sat there. I think we all seen in our lives. That, that, you know, like, I don't appreciate it when somebody, you know, speaking about you're an adult, I don't appreciate it when somebody wants to shake my hand. Yeah. You know, I don't want to wear, you know, I, I get wearing a mask in the stores and, yeah. and going in some place. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to make somebody wear a mask when we're riding in the car together, a friend of mine, but I don't want to go into a group and some, ba some Republican badge of honor that we all stick out our hands and shake hands. I mean, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, and so it's like, I, you know, it's like you want to, I mean, that's, that's part of this whole, what she's talking about is I need you to, you know, be sane. We'll get back and we'll talk about things like maybe a Supreme Court justice or something like that on the next segment of Ali and Pacero. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. Lots going on here in our country and our state, including a new Supreme Court justice. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Um, even talking to Republicans about her, uh, the, the phrase that, that was used was, she was one tough mother. She was, uh, uh, you might not agree with her, but she was a prudent jurist and stuck up for what she believed and a real trailblazer. Uh, she has now passed. We're in this window of uh, opportunity from the Republican side to appoint a new Supreme Court justice, and Donald Trump has now named his choice. Um, she is eminently qualified based on her resume and background. She's eminently a uh, conservative uh, it will shift the balance on the Supreme Court. Uh, there's a lot of controversy if the Republicans should do this at this point in time, mostly from the Democratic side of the aisle. I think if the roles were reversed, the Democrats would certainly appoint the justice and would certainly approve it through the, uh, through the Senate process. But Jim, your observations. Well, I want a conservative court, period. And also, if that's the consolation prize to a, a potential defeat of Donald Trump, I want the consolation prize. Um, the problem for the Republicans is that, in my opinion, I think they should have gone ahead and had hearings for Merrick Garland and then voted no. You know, and just played. I mean, people have, Judge Bork wasn't on the court for political reasons. There, was, there wasn't anything wrong with J Judge Bork other than they didn't want this powerful intellectual conservative on the court. I think that would, I think that's a better, now uh, other people don't agree with me, but I think that's a better precedent than having to look now to have done the flip-flop, which is they did do the flip-flop and they can do the flip-flop. And their argument is, well, if you have the presidency in the Senate, you go ahead and do it. 
if if the presidency and the Senate are not of the same, then you don't do it. Um, yeah, and, and another take on that was if uh, Obama wanted to get somebody approved by the Senate, mm-hmm. he could have picked a very moderate judge. Right. And then uh, put the ball in their court mm-hmm. to vote down a moderate judge. Yeah. Now, he didn't choose to do that. He didn't choose to negotiate on that. Like everything else in his presidency. Yeah. I mean, it was, I'm, I'm Barack Obama and, and you're, you should approve who I appoint. We saw Greg Walden speak re, uh, recently. The, I, I'm interrupting you, but yeah. we saw him speak recently and he, he, he was oh, talking about, yeah. the, he was talking about the different presidents, right. his take on the different presidencies, Clinton, George W. Obama and Trump, and he, and he had all these things to say, but we got to Obama, he just skipped his presidency. He skipped the entire thing, didn't <laughs> yes, he? Yes. It was really well done. It was well done. It was it was exactly, you know, kind of the way I think a lot of Republicans feel. We survived it. Yeah. So you were saying I interrupted you about the uh, about the court pick and the. Well, I think I think the thing is is that um, certainly Republic, it, it's absolutely constitutional to do it. The Democrats are coming unglued that we would flip flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, McConnell has said, "Look, I if you have a Republican Senate, Republican president, elections have consequences. This is what's going to happen. If you have the split, Republican Senate, Democratic president, or the other way around, elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. The Senate has the choice to not move that nomination forward. Yeah, and suffer the." electoral consequences, consequences later that. on yeah right and so you think that's better than having given him a hearing and voting him down no i i actually had the same thought yeah. it's like why didn't we let him let the nomination go forward and see right. if he, he could convince people republicans to cross over right yeah i i i'd rather i always want more light than dark in a democracy yeah i don't know i, I maybe because i don't remember what the split in the Senate was at that time? Was it only one vote? I think it was close. So maybe that's the risk. Yeah. It was, it right? Was, yeah. That all you need is one one vote to flip. Mm-hmm. And I think it was two. I think it was like 53, 54. Yeah. And, and that might have been the, the situation. I think this time mm-hmm. they have the votes to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mitch well, McConnell is a, is a master... Process person. And there's a couple of silly arguments that have been put out there. One of them was by Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, where she said that that Scalia had such a it was you know had such a great reputation that it was Scalia's seat, and therefore you should have wait you should have you know it was okay to wait and appoint uh, wait till the the election because it was his seat. And that and she applied the same thing. Now this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat, so you should wait until the election and not do it now because it's her seat. I, that didn't make any sense to me. No. I mean, and, and, and the other one, the other one that doesn't make any sense to me is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg wanted them to wait until the election. And so therefore it's her request, you know, and it's like, you don't get to control the seat after you die. There's no. nothing in the constitution that says that, uh, the things that you wrote, you know, in your will will be applied. Well, another, another liberal friend of mine said, uh, he was actually angry at Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh-huh. because she didn't step down at a time when they could have they nominated could have. and processed her replacement. And they were so sure that, that Hillary was going to win yeah. that they didn't do that. And she could have, yeah. and she's paid for life. She'd be, go on the speaking circuit and, you know, handpick her replace. She could have done that and handpicked her replacement yeah. in conjunction with President Obama and chose not to do it. She had colon cancer in 1999 and pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer in 2009. She probably lived longer with pancreatic cancer than anybody ever has. And so maybe she just felt like, you know, I'm such a survivor that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to quit. Right. But that's not the, the funny thing is, is that that's a very self-centered thing mm-hmm. to do. Especially yeah. when you're talking about the balance of the Supreme Court, Court. of the United States, right. and 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 letting that slip through your fingers because you didn't want to step down. I think it's one of the things that's going to be interesting is with five solid conservatives on the court, 
how will John will will that affect the way that John Roberts rules? And I think it will. Yeah, I do too. I, I think he's going to be, especially as head of the court, he's going to want to make those that that the, those six, you know, work. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think the the other side of this is: are the Democrats, if they get control of the Senate, are they going and they win the presidency? Are they going to try Supreme Court packing? Are they going to try to increase the number yeah, of yeah. of justices? And that threat is being used for, oh, you Republicans don't nominate a justice because we're going to pack yeah. the Supreme Court. I think don't that's, you dare, don't you dare vote for Donald Trump, or you're going to be a Nazi. <laughs> right, yeah, that's it's, it's the intimidation across the board. We'll talk more about this when we come back. It's Ali and Pacero's podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or proliftdoors.com portland. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero coming from the center of the democratic <laughs> machine, machine in in the hills of Portland. Jim, what we're talking about some national issues and and the uh, well the Supreme Court how these hearings and this confirmation process which we assume is going to go forward and that Amy's going to Conan Barrett is going to be on the court. Right. Uh, Mitt Romney came out and said he's going to support it. And so so how is that going to affect the presidential election? And I think on the margins, if the Democrats were to behave, uh, they might benefit a little bit on the margins on this in terms of the election, but they won't behave. And so they're not going to be. So it's going to be a negative for them. And possibly hurt them, and and so they're so they're sitting around looking for ways to attack the um, nomination in a way that won't hurt them. And so one of the one of the things they've they've stuck on. I mean, religion is pretty problematic because she's a serious Catholic. If they attack her on that, might not break their way. But the one that there is that she's going to take away your health care. That there's 130, 140 million Americans that are now uh, insured because of pre, you know, of pre-existing conditions because of, because of Obamacare, and because it survived uh, a Supreme Court ruling, and that she now is going to flip the court and take away your health care, and so it's such a complex issue, the health care, and it's so messed up. Well, and, since most, and I, I think most is a good characterization, Americans. Have their health care through their employers. Right. I don't think they know the ins and outs of pre-existing conditions and all those things. Mm-hmm. You and I do, right? We because we it we buy it on the individual, individual market, market. right? The and sixteen million of us. It's incredibly expensive, but sixteen million is not a right. large number in an election. Well, the horrible thing about the health care is that what they did was on the on the uh, for the large employer, Obamacare had came with all of these, you know, mandates, right? And if you were a large employer and you could, the, the lobbyists got together with the people writing the bill and did a, a reser or whatever. And, and so that they were large purchases were exempt from a lot of them or some of the mandates in Obamacare, which so that the price wasn't, so the price was lower for the large purchasers. Plus they had the economy of scale on top of it versus so, so then they had to cost shift over to the individual market. And and we didn't have any lobbyists, so it you know healthcare is obviously very complex. One mm-hmm. of the things that's always been a head scratcher for me is something like eighty percent of your um, medical expenses will occur in the last five right. years of your life, and for a vast majority of us, those last five years are going to be covered by Medicare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we pay if, and we pay and pay and pay and pay. So if Medicare and then, and then when we have when we get old enough, we don't have to pay anymore. But then, the, but then when we're paying and paying and paying, we never use it. Right. For thank God. Right. All those millennials that are in downtown yeah. Portland that work for the tech companies and the tech companies are paying two thousand dollars a month for mm-hmm. their health benefits, mm-hmm. they're not using it. Right. So 
there is this mysterious unspoken shift mm-hmm. from the private sector to Medicare. Yeah. Medicare's not that expensive, right? Once you get on Medicare, it's not that expensive. It's pretty cheap. But but there's this unspoken cost shift that's going on because these democratic politicians say Medicare is wonderful, Medicare for all. Well, so, wait a minute. You you can't have Medicare at the rates that it is if the private sector isn't pumping an enormous yeah, amount of money yeah. that never gets used. So how do you, one, if you're president or running for president as a Republican, how do you say that your appointee isn't going to take away your health care? I, I, to the pop, to the pop, the Democrats can public. scream about that, but your health care, for the general population, yeah. your health care comes from your employer. Right. And it, we had it before Obamacare. We have it after Obamacare. We have our health care. And, oh, by the way, nobody on the Republican side says anything about taking away health care for pre-existing political, conditions. Political consultants say on the Democratic side that that was at the health care demagoguing, uh, only partially demagoguing because anything, any anytime you attack the health care system, you're partially right. Um, yeah. Uh, was effective in the 2018 election for the Democrats. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So why wouldn't it be effective in 2020? I think it will. I, I think it's a good talking point mm-hmm. for the Democrats. Absolutely. Yeah. It has no basis in reality, mm-hmm. and it doesn't affect a, a broad cross section of the population. I think the one that they're really going to go after her on to, and it's a it's a wedge issue is she's going to take away a woman's right to choose. You think abortion is going to be bigger? That they, they'll because, try health care and they'll shift over to the sexier one? Well, because I, I think her faith is so strong right, and so clear that it's so strong that she can say, oh, you know, my faith is over here and mm-hmm. then I'm a justice. It's like, no, not for somebody that that is that. Her brand is so tied to her faith. Well, that's what Diane Feinstein said in that hearing, and, and uh, it made that argument. And she's ridiculed every every night on Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson for having said that to to the justice. She said that that the faith is going to be the deciding factor. Or? That that her faith. Diane Feinstein said that her faith was so strong that it's it, it's going to flow into her thinking that she can't do a JFK and when he appeared in front of the Protestant ministers in Houston and said, yeah. my Catholicism isn't going to affect how I am president. Fine, so I said, that's not true with you. Your your faith is so strong that it just floods everything. And I think, that, I think it is true, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I wish more people had some rudder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I think faith gives you a moral rudder. Yeah. And without any kind of faith, and I don't care what kind of faith it is, right? right? I don't I don't care what religion you are, but it makes you thoughtful about having morals. It makes you thoughtful about right and wrong. Well, this is what what comes up when you think about that so many people are are had you know ex- pretty good expectations for Mayor Wheeler and so many, you know, always why why is he why is he allowing this why is he acting this way why does he believe i hear that all the time you know and it's like and and you and all the only answer i can think is well the rudder's not very strong you know it's like it's it's the 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 will to be a successful politician and stay in office is much stronger than the rudder you know a lot of my uh I have friends that are atheists, mm-hmm. so they believe we're only here, and then when we go, we go, right. and there's just dust, right? Right. Imagine the difference between your outlook if you just believe that you're here and there's dust yeah. versus there's some accounting for your life at the end. Yeah. Some standard some review hey jimmy mm-hmm. you know this is kind of what you did and this yeah. is what you're supposed to do and yeah. you know i'd like to talk more about that after the break uh and get into that and also get into mayor wheeler and what's going on here in portland this is ali and Pacero's podcast the portland spirit is headed to the river hop on board today for great views of the portland skyline and historic milwaukee waterfront See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. 
Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. We're talking about national issues. We're talking about Portland issues. We were talking about faith, which is something that we don't really talk about that much. But the difference between having no no faith at all, no sort of moral rudder that that is uh, constructed through thousands of years of shared beliefs, um, that you're just kind of winging it. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole concept of an accounting of your life, being held accountable for your actions over your entire life, oh. and being able to stand up and say, hey, I did, I did the best I can. This is, this is what I did. These are the kind of the decisions that I made. And we never talk about it. I think it's a really powerful idea mm-hmm. that, um, that certainly is important to me because I'm not a very religious person, mm-hmm. but I do believe that there's some sort of accounting and, mm-hmm. and that there is something beyond, you know, mm-hmm. just Jim and Alan sitting here around the table and that there is a purpose for what we're doing and that, that there's a direction that I'd, I'd like to, you know, leave and, and have mm-hmm. a positive imprint with the things that I've done. So. Yeah. But, well, Christy, Christy Nome was, you know, when she spoke and we, we heard her, she did talk about, you know, how she had to make decisions, but that we're all flawed people and we all, you know, and we don't always live up to our own expectations. Yeah. Um, I, um, yeah, the, you know, it's a big question. And, and so, and, it, and there's a, there's frustration with our leaders when they sort of act in this sort of raw way. You know, the mayor seems to be, I'm going to do anything to politically survive. That seems to be, you know, I'll believe anything that helps me politically survive. And the president, you know, he's like, well, I am not going to, I'm, no one's going to accuse me of not being tough enough in this presidential election that I didn't fight hard enough. Like in, when I worked right. for George H.W. Bush in 92 and he wasn't feeling well, a lot of people felt in 92 like, you know, he really didn't give it his best. Yeah. You know, I mean, the economy was growing at 6%. We won the Cold War and he got, you got, you know, he gets spanked by Bill Clinton. He wasn't really, wasn't, you know, looked at his watch kind of thing. And so the president's completely the opposite. I am going to, you know, you are, you have hired a fighter and I am going to fight. And there, and if I have to walk over a few line, you know, rules and precedents and, and, and democratic processes, I'll do it. And, and so this week he says, he says, um, and you know, this is again where he's not so crazy articulate. Mm-hmm. He says, we got to get rid of the ballots. Oh right. In, in 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 response to a question about whether the election was going to be fair, whether right. there'd be a fair trans, you know, a peaceful transfer of power, he said, "Well, we got to get rid of the ballots." And uh, you know, this is kind of Chris Dudley level of articulateness. <laughs> you know, it's like I think you and I knew know what he meant about vote. He maybe he's right about vote by mail. Maybe he's not right about vote by mail. Right. But I think he was talking about vote by mail rather than we have to get rid of democracy. But you know, you. Every Republican leader then had to come out and say, you know, that's be not exactly <laughs> what right. he meant. And you do this all the time. I mean, you probably on our, on our, our show had probably, you know, you probably, it was probably 20 times where you said, look, I, I went back and I read the transcripts. Okay. Let me tell you what he really said. I know I it's, it's been exhausting, but you know, you mentioned, uh, Ted Wheeler in the same vein. The, I think the problem, so I like Ted Wheeler. I think he's a good person. I think Ted Wheeler is the kind of person that I'd like to have as mayor of Portland. The problem is he's trying to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. And by making trying to make everybody happy, he's making everyone unhappy. Mm-hmm. There's no solid group. Business people, not really solid supporting Ted Wheeler. And Tifa... Definitely not yeah. s- supporting Ted Wheeler. Downtown, I, I would imagine the people that are around us here where we're sitting today, not really Ted Wheeler's supporters. And the problem is, is that it's the same thing that I say about Republicans, is that we work so hard trying to make Democrats feel good about us, yeah. uh, that, but they won't vote for us. And, and so it's this kind of peanut butter approach where Donald Trump is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Right? 
he you know he just, where he stands. He just doubles down. And he he says stuff that you know, there's a bunch of people out there on the ballots. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, I don't trust this. <laughs> and that's on the Republican side and the Democratic right. side. Right. I I talked to the uh, when I was head of the Republican Party, I talked to the head of the Democratic Party and I asked her, um, what's the big issue in your party when when you get a central committee together and she goes, "Oh, oh, election integrity." I yeah. said, "Well, that's the issue on our side." Yeah. And she goes, "Oh, I know. You know that that uh, Dick Cheney guy, he owns all the voting machines." Hmm. And your vote goes into that voting machine and then they manipulate it. Yeah. And we have documented evidence of this. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's, it's, it's the flip side of Why? that because on our side, it's all of those democratic public employees handling my ballots, slipping them into a drawer, you know, leaving them in the dumpster, that kind of stuff. But both sides are fearful yeah. of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, that's just it's not going to work we have to we have to have a process that we can kind of believe in well and that's where we had sort of reached detente with our voting machines and our voting booths and here in oregon after many many years of vote by mail we're generally comfortable dennis richardson our secretary of state audited it yeah i don't think we you and i are, are are really comfortable with it but we're convinced that we're we should be comfortable with it because because of the ballot harvesting and the and the, the well, what the yeah it's a different issue that's right it's that's a, different a issue. that's a different issue but the fact that d- is a a uh, is my ballot ballot processed and counted mm-hmm. yes i mm-hmm. think generally yeah. speaking in oregon that's true but the ballot collection ballot harvesting there are things that we need to do to make our system work better but imagine a state where they don't have the infrastructure that 99% of the votes have been cast in voting machines and now they're just going to send ballots out to random addresses that haven't been signature registered the way we are here that uh, you know you do create a, a, so, a mess so when the president crosses the line and i guess i would define crossing the line when everybody in the republican congressional leadership says no he's not right about this um you know you know what um What's your reaction to that? I think he does things to sort of highlight issues and create this. Yes, he does. Right? Just kind of stir it up. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Stirring it up. And and he's found a spot, and it 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 has validity. Yeah. Everything and, he does has some validity to it. A bright, shiny light mm-hmm. on ballot security, mm-hmm. election integrity, so that so that he's raising that issue yeah. that it will be it will be something that people have to focus on. So we'll get back. I think we have a couple more segments to do. Only one. Yeah, one more. One more segment of Ali and Pacero. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. Our last segment this week. Jimmy, we've got a debate that's coming right. up here and it's not Ali versus Pacero. Right. It's Trump versus Biden. What what's your take on what's going to happen? Well, I mean, four years ago, Hillary Clinton outdebated Donald Trump in all three debates, and they d- it didn't matter a bit. And yet, this seems like this first debate is almost the entire enchilada because Joe Biden, if he has a good night, if he has a really good night, he's going to be twelve or thirteen points ahead of Donald Trump in you know, or or ten or eleven. So, what's a in, good night? For a Biden? good night is that he doesn't look. Two things for a good night. One, he's got to seem with it, uh, and you know, not not lose his place, and not seem old and you know, kind of feeble and mentally, which is mostly what he seems. So he's got to, I guess, not be who he is right now. And the second thing is, there's a there's an art form to this that I don't know if he's capable. You know, where Ronald Reagan turned to Jimmy Carter and said, you know, there you go again. People, right. the country does not would not reelect Donald Trump right now in a in just a referendum on Donald Trump. You know, do you want Donald Trump to have four more years? He would not win that question right now and hasn't been in a position to win that question for a long time. But if the person he's running against 
comes across as inadequate for the office, which is a decent chance. Right. Donald Trump can win that question. See, my my experience, I had never really been a debater until I ran for office, and mm-hmm. then I did several debates. And my analogy is they're a lot like uh, the emotion is like being in a prize fight. Right. And I have a style, and the person that I'm debating has a style. Right. And if I can sort of land a few punches early right. and and my style is reinforced, then I kind of settle in and I just pound away, right? But if early in the debate I get knocked off balance mm-hmm. and, you know, you think about some of the great fights of, of history when when fighters had to break out of their style and all of a sudden they're a, you know, they're a, a fast fighter that's doing a lot of jabs and they're just trying to throw haymakers. That's not their style. And they, they get knocked out. Right. And so Trump is, is the world heavyweight champion mm-hmm. of making you. I'm hearing the towel snap now. Right. Change your style. Right. And, and, I can see Biden giving one of his answers that's not really coherent. Yeah. I mean, it's generally in the quadrant of an answer. Mm-hmm. And Trump turning to him and, and saying something like, I, I didn't understand a single word you said. Right. And as a matter of fact, I don't think they understood a single right. word you said. And when you're president of the United States, you have to be clear. You have to stand for something. Mm-hmm. And just knocking, once, once he hits Biden on his confidence mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I, I don't think Joe can hold it together. Well, and, and that is, it's, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that the trainers are, are doing with him that's the, uh, you know, in the debate prep, the emphasis on, is on him not losing his temper. And that's just when you think about, it, when you stand back and think about that, it's kind of extraordinary that they, that, he, that they have to, that they're really worried about that because it kind of t- tells the condition of his mental state that, that keeping, you know, that keeping his equilibrium is so, you know, potentially uh, difficult for him. Um, I feel like, you know, I should have been in the debate prep because um, when I debated Mark Abrams, I mean, he would throw, you know, everything. Yes. Everything. You know, I, I think there was even a, a slur on the Italian people in one of the shows, you know, yeah. questions about my income, questions about, you know, who I'm dating, you know, all, all I mean, he, when he was losing an argument, he would just he would do the Donald Trump both from New York, right? You know, yeah. And 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 you just when people do that, and I and I know that our audience over the years, I won the debate because because I wouldn't most of the time react, and it became all of a sudden the audience was cheering for me in those exchanges, and 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 you had some of that with him too. I mean, that's what Biden has to do is he has to somehow not take it personally. And make make the president look like he's desperate and he's just you know punching himself out, right? And, and I don't I don't think Biden has shown the ability to do that to do because that. even in interviews with a reporter about like something like Hunter Biden, right? Who's who is absolutely predisposed yeah. to being friendly to yeah. him, and they ask a question that's even slightly judgmental. Right. That maybe you could have done this a little bit better, or differently, no. or whatever. He gets really irritated. It's really worked up. And now you've got the master towel snapper yeah. in Donald Trump. And and I've occasionally I've seen Donald Trump get a little bit irritated, but he's taken on reporters time after time he's, after time. Yeah, mostly what he's done when he's really really mad, he walks away. Yes, that's 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 right. his thing. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't open his mouth and yell yell in public. He walks away when he's when he's lost it. Um, I think it's interesting on this Hunter Biden, this vice president, and your take on this uh, before we leave today. Um, George H. W. Bush, vice president under Ronald Reagan, and George W. Bush is basically given uh, a share of the Texas Rangers. Which turns out to be eighteen million dollars and and his fortune right. for life, right. and he you know he does good things with it. He helps build a new stadium and president of the company, the team, and all of this. But he he doesn't get that position unless his father is vice president, right. and the other Bushes benefited. I mean, they all made their fortunes when their dad was vice president. So, like the difference, like what's the difference, Hunter? I mean, first of all, it is kind of unseemly. 
I don't know. I mean, you can't really lock. I mean, it's, it's sort of an ethical gray line, right? Now, Hunter did stuff with foreign power. So that's, that's ugly. That's the, that's the part. But, but be, right. besides the foreign powers, I mean, you can't really lock your children up and say, Hey, you can't go out and exploit my name now that I'm vice president. No, I think it's the foreign power yeah. stuff. And it's the, it's the sort of the energy business in general can be kind of a, mm-hmm. a dark place. Yeah. Any kind of natural resource extraction business that I've seen, whether it's oil or diamonds or gold or uranium or whatever, it's it's kind of this Wild West mentality, claim jumper sort of thing. And giving your your son in the Ukraine an inside path to that and then just getting paid money for your position on the board, that's just, that's unseemingly. So, so... We've got just a few seconds left. What's your handicap on the debate? Who's who's going to win? Um, I think I think Biden's going to win the first one. I think Trump is going to drive him crazy, yeah. and and he's going to there. There's going to be some kind of God, there's iconic gonna, mo- yeah. iconic moment. So we'll talk about that next week on our podcast. This is Ali and Pacero. Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Pacero with your hosts Alan Ali and Jim Pacero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.